electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Indeed. Indeed it does, Court. Thank you very much. I'm Tyler Matheson. In for Kelly Evans. Here's what's ahead on a very busy hour. Spruce Point Capital out with a new short report targeting the global index provider MSCI and calling it a classic case of a company failing to transform itself. And that is the nicest part of the report. Spruce Point's capital Ben's act, Ben Axler is here to make his case. Plus, speaking of contrarian trades, our market guest has three of them, the names and why he thinks they are positioned for gains this year. And this election could be like unlike any other. And it is not just because former President Trump is back in the picture. It is because deep fakes are also a part of the picture. And they are getting more and more sophisticated. What you need to know. We begin with today's markets and Dom Chu has the numbers. Hey, Dom. Generally positive, Tyler, but losing some steam right now. It's a bit mixed in terms of the overall picture with the major indices. The Dow Industrial is currently down about 100 points. One quarter of 1% declines there, 37,168. The S&P 500, that broader measure, is up about one-tenth of 1%, so modest gains here. But this does represent right now session lows for that S&P 500. At the highs of the session, by the way, we were closer to 47.66, currently trading at 44 right now. So keep an eye on that kind of losing momentum type trade happening in the S&P 500. The Nasdaq Composite still up about two-thirds of 1%, 93 points to the upside, 14,948 the last trade there. One of the big reasons for that outperformance, relatively speaking, in the Nasdaq Composite and in the S&P to a certain degree, is mega cap technology stocks continuing this kind of run where we're seeing some moves higher, maybe a flight to safety trade, maybe some growth concerns that are still kind of playing some push and pull here. But Apple shares up two and three quarters percent. It gets a big upgrade over at Bank of America today. NVIDIA shares get a star. They make a record high in in trading today. Alphabet's up about two thirds of one percent. Amazon, Microsoft, all up as well. So keeping on big technology, certainly driving the action so far in certain parts of the market. And then the stock of the day right now has a little to to do with the consumer health picture right now. The second worst performer in the S&P 500 today, as of right now, is Discover Financial Services. That company, perhaps best known for its namesake, Credit Card is down about 11% right now. Its earnings report was mixed. Revenues actually came in better than expected, but its profits fell markedly over the same period last year because it boosted significantly to about $1.91 billion worth of reserves it sets aside for possible bad loans down the line. That has helped dragging that earnings picture down. So Discover Financial shares down about 11%. One more data point, Tyler, in that very mixed picture for the U.S. economy vis-a-vis the U.S. consumer. We'll see how this plays out. Ty, I'll send things back over to you. All right, Dom. Thank you very much. Dominic Chu reporting. Meantime, shares of MSCI are up 1% in today's session after Wells Fargo called it a, quote, best in class, shrugging off yesterday's short report by Spruce Point Capital, which sees a 55 to 65% downside risk in that company. In the report, Spruce Point calls MSCI a, quote, classic case of a struggling company failing to transform itself while engaging in value-destructive and even worse, nepotism-like acquisitions and share repurchases. It also 
also accuses the company of abusive financial reporting and accounting tactics to bolster earnings. In a statement to CNBC, MSCI responded by saying, it categorically refutes the claims in the report published by Spruce Point Capital Management. This report, it says, is an intentional attempt by a short seller to target our stakeholders with misleading, incomplete, and false information that aims to distract from MSCI's successes and opportunities. And here now with us to respond to that statement from MSCI is Ben Axler, founder and chief investment officer of Spruce Point Capital Management. Ben, welcome. Good to see you. This is going to be a lively conversation, I'm sure. Uh, let me begin with this. It says in my description of about Ben Axler that you're an activist short seller, we agree, forensic financial researcher, certainly that, who has dedicated his career to exposing financial schemes. Is MSCI with a blue chip background and heritage, a financial scheme? And if so, why? Well, I think the company clearly is trying to create shareholder value and increase its stock price. Now, where we think they've gone wrong is through expensive acquisitions that we think haven't lived up to the expectations. We think they're repurchasing their stock at an industry high 17 times revenue multiple. We think that money should be dedicated more to dividends. And, you know, we think that to the point about it being a mature, struggling company, that they're engaging in aggressive accounting and financial reporting to project an image of growth where we think ultimately they're going to struggle to meet expectations as the industry transforms and their solutions become These more These are operational largely. Let me let me. That's my characterization, not yours. Operational issues, how the company is being run, what it has done in terms of acquisitions, how it is handling share repurchases versus dividends. And so these are legitimate criticisms, I'm sure, from where you sit. But is it a scheme? Well, I think every company operates a scheme to improve their share price, right? Mm. But I think where we believe that management is being aggressive in terms of how they're portraying their growth, how they're portraying their margins, and how they're depicting their revenue. So for example, in our report, we noted um, we've seen some aggressive revenue recognition policies on non-recurring uh, revenue items. We also have issues about the cost allocations and whether or not the margins in certain segments are increasing. So that is one crux of, of one of the bones concern. you have picked with the company as we as we talk about revenue recognition and things like that is the fact that the chief accounting officer left about six months ago. Am I right on that? Correct. Has not been replaced. Is being the job is now being uh, functionally covered by uh, the chief financial officer. You think this is bad? Yeah. So we do have concerns about the government and the okay. comptroller has gone. Right. There is no comptroller. Correct. So there's some governance improvements that we think could be made. Look, we credit the CEO uh, who's been with the business to, since 2007. He's created a lot of value. He's also the chairman. But, you know, we think as the company's end markets and customers change, that the, the company needs some change at, at, the, at, at the highest level, at the CEO level. In addition, we believe the company should split the CFO and chief accounting officer roles. That's a concern. We also have a concern about the audit engagement partner, who is not explicitly a financial service or technology expert, is a chemical and industrial expert. So we, we think there are certain things they, they should do to improve the governance and the confidence in the company's financial reporting. Governance, operations, another thing you uh, draw attention to from your point of view is what you call nepotistic uh, tendencies. Expl and, and nepotistic, uh, I guess, in personnel decisions, in terms of acquisitions uh, and other things. Explain where the nepotistic factors have come into play and why they've been 
uh, injurious to the company. Right. So MSCI, what does it stand for? Morgan Stanley Capital International. Blue um, chip background. Blue chip background, right? And so we've noticed a pattern, a suspicious pattern of recent alliances and acquisitions benefiting either Morgan Stanley or Morgan Stanley related or MSCI related individuals. So we have to question, you know, are these deals in the best interest of MSCI shareholders, which is a broad base of shareholders, or are these deals uh, in the best interest of people within the sphere of Morgan Stanley? Some of these deals, they're not releasing the terms, the payments of what's being made to these individuals. So we're calling on the company to be more transparent and explain why there is a pattern of deal-making, nepotism-like alliances with these individuals. So today, Wells Fargo comes back and fires back uh, at your um, allegations, sent in a letter uh, yesterday to Wayne Edmonds, who's the independent board chair and audit committee chairman at MSCI. Uh, Wells Fargo says, we view Spruce Point's short report uh, called that MSCI is a struggling company, misguided. We view MSCI as one of the highest quality franchises in our coverage. We believe the report mischaracterizes MSCI's leading market position and underappreciates its high return subscription-based model. We highlight Spruce Point's recent track record with other high-quality multiple business services stocks with average performance of positive 73%, 38% outperformance versus market since the short call. What they are fundamentally saying there is that they don't agree with your assessment of MSCI. And oh, by the way, just to pound, pound you a little harder, uh, when you've made short calls in the past, the stock has done the opposite. It has gone up, not down. Well, we disagree with that. I mean, you can look at our recent track record of S&P 500 short campaigns. Last year, we called short on Xylem. Within a month, the CFO and CEO resigned. We found uh, we've had a lot of traction in some of these large cap companies. And we're looking very much at the numbers, okay? So, you know, our report is very fact-based. You can look at the client retention rate of MSCI across their segments. They're all declining. The organic growth is declining. The company's making changes to their um, risk factor language in the 10K, uh, talking about client defections. We even did a survey of about 1% of their clients and are finding that the customers are pushing back on abusive high price increases. So other, we beg to differ there. Other shorts you've had lately, A.O. Smith and Generac. Let me ask you this. You, you're critical of the... Um Amount of share buybacks at the companies. Is that, is that a fair That's characterization fair. of what, you, what you're doing? Uh, are those share buybacks, uh, do you believe, driven in part by the fact that executives at the company are heavily constant, con compensated with stock? You hit the nail on the head. So one of our issues here is that management long-term incentive compensation is being tied to, tied to cumulative revenue and adjusted EPS. Well, what's the problem here? The company does not give explicit guidance on their revenue or adjusted EPS. So investors are operating in a vacuum. Management's paying on numbers, and yet the, uh, they're not disclosing what these metrics are to investors. And management has discretion to, to use the buyback in a way that increases their earnings per share. So one can think of it as they're essentially buying their potential ability to hit the targets. Mm -hmm. um, and they will adjust out modifications to the debt in terms of adjusted EPS, but why not adjust out the repurchases uh, in the adjusted EPS. So that's our main criticism. So let me, let me ask you one. We have to go. Sure. But how the hell do they make money? <laughs> well, they have an index business. Uh, do which they is, license those indexes some, to funds and ETFs and 
Oh, what, what are they? How Correct. Are they yeah, so they have an index business, an analytics business, but their core growth driver recently has been their ESG ratings business. That's been growing about mm. 20%. And where our real concern is that that growth driver business is starting to slow as there's ESG pushback and more competition. So, so the ESG rating, a company will, will pay them to rate the company uh, on ESG metrics. Is that right? That's, like the way S&P might charge a company to go in and give it a bond rating. That's absolutely correct. That's their highest value ESG business, okay. and that is under more pressure. Interesting. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Ben Axler. We appreciate your time. And obviously, we have a standing invitation out to MSCI and their executives to uh, join us to uh, comment on this uh, call. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you very much, Ben. Market probabilities for a March rate cut coming down a bit, now sitting at 57 percent. Our next guest agrees with that sentiment, saying a cut that soon would be too aggressive. He sees some choppiness ahead for the markets and several areas of opportunities to strike on the strike on amid the pullbacks. For more, let's bring in Matt Orton, chief at market strategist at Raymond James Investment Management. Uh, Matt, welcome. Good to have you with us. Great to be here, Tyler. You don't argue with the uh, fundamental thesis that the Fed is likelier to to loosen rates uh, this year than uh, than not. Right. But you just are questioning whether the timing in March is too soon. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, it's clear that the Fed has hit the peak, that we're going to be cutting rates this year. The problem is the market got really, really aggressive, Tyler, in pricing in rate cuts, pricing in six rate cuts at the start of the year and putting up to an 80% probability that we were going to get a cut in March. But at the same time, you have an economic backdrop that's pretty darn positive. You have strong jobs growth. I think the trajectory to get to consistent 2% inflation target is not as easy as everyone thought. So, you know, I've been telling a lot of our clients that that we've got to go through some normalization first. We're seeing that play out a little bit this week. I think there's still more room to go. But at the end of the day, the fundamental backdrop supporting earnings growth and supporting a broadening of the market is still very much in place. So, So what I say is use downside opportunistically to diversify and set your portfolios. And if you've got cash sitting on the sidelines, rates are going to come down. So have a plan and start to execute that plan because there's plenty of interesting areas in the market. I guess one of the things that I, I, I and I may be full of it here, Matt, and you can you can instruct me if I am. And I, I, I admit I'm full of it more often than not, is is the idea that there quote, there's money on the sidelines. There's all this money, this tonnage sitting there in money market funds. And indeed, money did go into money market funds uh, over the last year as uh, rates rose and the, 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 the uh, returns on those funds became more palatable, more, more enticing. Um, but I'm always suspicious of the idea that that money is going to leave those money market funds and fuel a big rise in equities. Tell me I'm wrong to be skeptical. No, Tyler, I think you're, you're right to be skeptical because you don't always see money leave those short-term instruments. Yeah. But what I, would say, what I would say is you have to think about why $1.2 trillion went into money market funds last year when the market was up, you know, 26% or so. And it started off as being defense. It started off as being, I'm uncertain about where the market's going to go next year. And then another big part of that was rates are continuing to increase and I can get paid five and a quarter paid. percent I can get paid. I can get five or four or five percent to, to yeah. keep my money in a safe place. And that, and that doesn't sound too bad to me after an era when I was getting zero percent to keep my money in these places. 
Yeah, 100%. But then look at what has changed now. So mm -hmm. those who went into those money market funds who were overweight, they missed out on the capital appreciation component that you can get both with respect to fixed income and equities. And a lot of them said, okay, at 5%, it might go a little bit higher, I'm gonna wait. And now we went down to 4%. And so I, I think there's, there's more of a very visible opportunity cost to sitting there. And I think at the same time, as the investors who are sitting there who are there for more of the I need income mm -hmm. part of the equation, they can get that in stocks, they can get that in bonds now, and as rates are coming down, I believe you're gonna see that money start to move, especially mm -hmm. when the economic picture is still pretty benign and solid. I don't want to let you go without a quick thumbnail on a couple of the stocks you like. They are contrarian in some cases, though, one of them, the first one I'm going to mention, I'm hearing a lot of buzz about lately, and that is UNH, the big healthcare company, XBI and biotech, uh, L3 Harris, defense and small caps. Uh, why do you like these? So I think healthcare is a great opportunity to have a contrarian play because you're starting to get to the point of a bottoming in the EPS process and it's a good place to be selective. So Humana is not United Health. The reasons Humana is down so much isn't just because of the medical cost ratio, it's because they missed expectations pretty badly and the outlook isn't that positive whereas you have a UNH that's growing at you know 13% earnings year over year over year paying a dividend with good growth and not exposed to the same factors that hurt so i would be using this downside to build more of a position there and xbi even though biotech tyler has had such a big run and people might be reticent to put money to work there Take a five-year chart of XBI and look at the destruction that has happened um, in the environment where rates started to move higher. We know from our conversation earlier, rates are going to come down this year. M&A activity, especially down market cap, has picked up and should continue to accelerate. And, and there's a lot of patent cliffs coming up. And so you're seeing a lot of pharma companies mm -hmm. be much more acquisitive. And I think there's a lot of room to run. So don't play the binary event. Play XBI to get broad exposure. Got to leave it there, Matt. Thank you very much. Matt Orton, we appreciate your time today. Raymond James. Thank you. You got it. Coming up, 2024 already being labeled by some as the year of the so-called deep fake election. Are platforms and regulators doing enough? Are they ready to prevent bad actors from using AI to hijack the presidential election? We've got a deep dive into deep fakes next. Plus, mortgage rates are well off their October highs, but buyers beware. Our guest says that puts builders at a big advantage in this market. He'll join us to make his case. The exchange returns after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, 
today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange. 2024 could be the year of the so-called deepfake election as AI-altered videos threaten to spread misinformation and potentially affect the outcome, not just here in the United States, but all over the world where so many elections are taking place this year. Julia Borston here now with the details. Hi, Julia. Hi, Tyler. That's right. That's the risk here. That's the concern that AI-manipulated audio or video could spread, impacting what voters think about candidates or even whether they think it's safe to go out to the polls. Now, consumer advocacy group Public Citizen is advocating for the Federal Election Commission to take action, warning, quote, a torrent of fraudulent deepfakes threatens to destabilize our fragile election system, maybe even decide elections. The FEC responding, quote, any suggestion that the FEC is not working on the pending AI rulemaking petition is false, going on to say, I expect the commission will resolve the AI rulemaking by early summer. Now, the most notable deepfake election example yet was just ahead of Slovakia's October election when a fake audio clip of a presidential candidate was posted on social media, seemingly talking about rigging that Slovakian election and doubling the price of beer. Now, he lost despite the fact that he had been leading in the polls. Now, Meta in November announced plans for identifying and restricting the use of AI in political ads, including mandating that advertisers disclose whether they used AI. YouTube similarly requires synthetic or fake election content to be labeled, both on the video and in the description, adding that any content meant to mislead is not allowed on the platform. TikTok telling us that it removes, quote, inaccurate, misleading or false content that may cause significant harm to individuals or society. But many people are saying that the responsibility for this lies not with the platforms, but with the AI companies. So OpenAI just announced efforts to prevent its chat GPT from being used to mislead voters, including banning people from building applications for political campaigning and lobbying with its tools. Meanwhile, Intel is working on deepfake detection technology, something called Fake Catcher, which social media platforms could deploy to block the upload of deepfakes. Now, in terms of regulation, there are five states, including California and Texas, that have laws to limit deepfake use around elections, and 16 more have introduced bills. So nearly half the states could have AI legislation in place by the election. There's also some proposed federal legislation, and it does have bipartisan support, we know just how hard it is for anything to get passed. Tyler? All right, Julia, thank you very much for uh, setting up uh, what we hope will be a very interesting conversation here. Thanks again, Julia Borston. So states are moving to regulate AI in elections, but uh, what is the role of the federal government? We'll talk about that. And what are the risks ahead of the absence of any national regulation? Joining me now is former North Dakota senator and CNBC contributor Heidi Heitkamp and deepfake artist and CEO of AI art company Pinscreen. Hal Lee. Uh, Hal, let me uh, begin with you. Julia mentioned in there uh, that uh, many of the platforms are requiring that material that is generated by AI be labeled as such. Uh, that feels to me like a hollow way of sort of self-policing and re relying on an honor system 
of the perpetrators of deep fakes to say, hey, this isn't really Joe Biden uh, using this kind of language, or this isn't really Donald Trump doing X, Y, or Z. Um, why would, why would a, a bad actor self-label self what they're doing as a fake? Right. Um, really good question. Um, first of all, I think a bad actor wouldn't want to self-label uh, no. something as a fake. Um, but first of all, uh, there are a lot of deep fake detection technologies that are very, very advanced. So uh, deep fakes, you know, um, since the past couple of years are much much harder to hide, right? So you can uh, use these advanced techniques to uh, detect if something is deep faked. So um, these platforms have the responsibility to label them if they decide that, um, you know, you want to watermark um, AI generated content. So, the, um, so let me just let me just interrupt. Let me make, just to make sure that I'm understanding the platform companies, whether it is a YouTube or a TikTok or an Instagram, they have sophisticated technology that can detect deep fake and put a watermark on it. Uh, are they doing that? Um, yes, um, many of these, um, you know, social media platforms have implemented those things. Um, I have uploaded um, content where sometimes it would accidentally, you know, mislabel them as deepfakes. Um, but um, this is something that they have been working very actively with top institutions in academia. And, you know, I've been involved in some of these programs uh, to develop technologies to detect deepfakes. So, uh, Senator Heitkamp, welcome. Good to see you. I uh, hope you're staying warm if you're in North Dakota. Um, Howe just said that there is technology that can detect these deep fakes and that the platforms are deploying it uh, as they can. Is that sufficient or does there need to be some national standard? Um, and what would it look like if there was? I think, Tyler, you hit the nail on the head when you say nefarious and wrongdoers are not going to listen to a scolding from a platform or from a regulator. And the problem you have in politics is once something escapes, uh, it, the, the bad news and, and lies go around the country seven times before the truth catches up. And so one of the issues that we have is we have to condition um, our voters to understand that everything that they see on the Internet may not be real. You know, we used to say in consumer protection, if it's too good to be true, it probably isn't. If it is so bizarre that you think that can't be true, it probably isn't. And I'm not as convinced that watermarks are the answer. There's a lot of people thinking that for every technology fix that you have, that can be undone in a short period of time. And so this is a very problematic situation that has to, I think, be addressed from educating voters not to believe everything that they see on these platforms. So how, uh, respond to Senator Heitkamp comment there that a, that a watermark is probably an, an insufficient uh, countervailing uh, factor here. I can well imagine, uh, and it's probably the world is probably here right now, uh, the ability to create a deep fake that makes Joe Biden sound like a mumbling, bumbling, stumbling, um, feeble person, okay? And it's fake. And on the other hand, a, a deep fake that would make um, Donald Trump appear to be an outright overt anti-Semite or racist. All, by putting words in their mouth, mimicking their facial mannerisms and so on and so forth. How do you fight that? Yeah, first of all, I think you're really hitting the nail. And uh, I fully agree with the senator that, um, you know, just putting watermark is enough because 
The detection techniques, at, on the other hand, you know, they also have limits, uh, even though they are very advanced. Um, the methods for the few methods that I think we have to be particularly um, uh, attentive and and careful are, you know, AI lip sync technologies and also mm -hmm. voice cloning technologies. Mm -hmm. Those have um, progressed a lot these days. Um, so what we need to um, make sure is that the videos that we see, right? So it's relatively easy to manipulate very convincing and generate very convincing videos of an existing footage where we would change their what they're doing in their mouth. So that's you know AI lip sync, and we can use we can change someone's voice or even type a text and produce a very convincing speech of either of the candidates um, using these type of voice cloning technologies. So what we need to do is make sure to implement um, a solution that allows us to reverse search, you know, um, if an existing footage comes right. from something that we've already seen. Uh, Senator Heitkamp, what would the solution uh, uh, look like here? Having heard what uh, Hao Li just said, uh, what, what, what would a federal solution or attempt at a solution look like? Well, I mean, I, I think the regulators are always far behind. You saw in the story saying oh, the FEC is going to release uh, uh, regulations by summer. Well, let, let me tell you, summer's too late. And so for waiting around for regulators and legislation, we're going to have a problem. And so I know from uh, sitting in meetings with a lot of the platforms, they are already working on this. They're thinking about it. But it's against a backdrop, Tyler, with uh, of, of people saying you're taking down conservative content. You're, you're, you're manipulating the content. And so the platforms are really sensitive to an argument that they're already editing what goes up on the, in their space, on their platform. And so, again, I think that we have to, as, as, uh, uh, as, as we think about this, we have to educate people on what can be done, why they need to be more cynical about what they're seeing, especially if the content is particularly yeah. flammable. And so, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, but it's, it comes down to educating the voter on what this technology can do. And then, yes, making available the actual footage showing what's happened. And I think when the voter sees that somebody is manipulating this, hopefully the voter will punish the manipulator um, and, and that will create. Well, I, I think that's the that's the that's a really interesting point, Senator. And we have to leave it there is the idea that if I am a patron of a particular platform and that platform becomes so contaminated with fake material and I find out about it, I am going to migrate away from that platform and the and quote the market will then impose a punishment on that platform or provider. Right. Or migrate away from the candidate. Or migrate away from the candidate. Senator Heitkamp, always great to see you. Hao Lee, thank you for your perspective today. We'll hope to have both of you back uh, because this is a story that is going to be with us throughout all of 24 and beyond. Thanks again. As we stick with social media now, new details in an ongoing lawsuit against Meta shedding light on what employees did or did not do to control the sexual harassment of children on the company's platforms. Eamon Javers is here now with that story. Hi, Eamon. 
Hi there, Tyler. This is a case that was brought by the Attorney General of New Mexico accusing Meta of failing to protect children on platforms like Facebook and Instagram. Key parts of the filing were redacted until last night when they came into public view. According to the filing, a 2021 internal presentation estimated that 100,000 children each day received online sexual harassment, such as pictures of adult genitalia. The 2021 presentation was not released in those court documents. And according to the complaint in a 2020 internal meta chat, one employee asked another, what specifically are we doing for child grooming? Something I just heard about that is happening a lot on TikTok. The colleague responds, somewhere between zero and negligible. Child safety is an explicit non-goal this half. The complaint also alleges that meta executives scrambled in 2020 to respond to a complaint from an executive at Apple whose 12-year-old child was solicited on the platform. A Meta employee told his colleagues, this is the kind of thing that pisses Apple off to the extent of threatening to remove us from the App Store, and asked the colleague when, quote, we'll stop adults from messaging minors on Instagram Direct. Now, a Meta spokesperson told CNBC that the company has fixed many of the problems identified in the complaint in recent years, and in one mo month alone, the company said it disabled more than a half million accounts for violating child safety policies. In a statement, the company said, we want teens to have a safe, age-appropriate experience online, and we have over 30 tools to support them and their parents. We've spent a decade working on these issues and hiring people who have dedicated their careers to keeping young people safe and supported online. The complaint mix mischaracterizes our work using selective quotes and cherry-picked documents. Now, this legal fight is still in its early stages, Tyler, so it's not clear yet exactly how all of this is going to be resolved. Back over to you. All right, thank you very much, uh, Eamon Javers, reporting from Washington. And still ahead, uh, Google planning to cut even more jobs as it ramps up investments in AI. We'll tell you who's affected, what it will mean for the company's bottom line. That's next. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to The Exchange. I'm Pippa Stevens with your CNBC News Update. A new deal is in the works to release hostages held by Hamas. According to U.S., Israeli and Arab officials, a current proposal under discussion would pause the violence for the exchange of hostages released. The release would be in stages. However, officials warned that a deal is not imminent. Bloomberg is reporting that hackers stole $7.5 million in grant money from the Department of Health and Human Services last year in a series of cyber attacks. According to the report, hackers accessed an HHS system from March to November of last year and withdrew money that was to be awarded to five accounts. The grantees have yet to receive their awards and investigations into the thefts are ongoing. 
And some schools have banned ChatGPT, but one university is embracing the AI giant. OpenAI announced its first ever partnership with a higher education institution today. It will join forces with Arizona State University next month to give students access to ChatGPT for coursework, tutoring, research, and more. Tyler, back to you. All right, Pippa, thank you very much. Coming up, mortgage rates threatening to surpass 7% for the first time in a month after plunging from their October highs. Now we're starting to get some mixed messages from the data, and we'll break it all down for you next. Welcome back to The Exchange. This morning's data showing mixed signals in the housing market. Starts fell in December for the first time in four months uh, by a little bit, dragged down by a drop in new single-family home construction. But building permits, a sign of future construction, rose nearly 2%, beating expectations. Joining us now to discuss is Logan Motoshami, lead analyst at The Housing Wire. Uh, Logan, welcome. Good to have you with us. Great to be here. Were these numbers good or bad? Well, it's bad in the sense that the apartment boom is over, right? So uh, apartment permits But I thought uh, more, more multifamily housing was started. Yeah, that's, that's, that's done with. Uh, rates are too high. But the single family starts are still going. Bless the builders' hearts. They're, they're pushing rates down below 6%. So we're still continuing the single family uh, uh, permits. And that's good for the U.S. economy because this keeps residential construction employers or, and people employed in that sector. But I want, to, I want to understand, as I was reading the data, I thought both the permits and the starts were still higher for multifamily than for single family. Am I wrong on that? No, uh, multifamily uh, uh, per, uh, permits have been falling for some time now. Uh, th that sector is done with. So uh, hopefully we don't lose too much employment in that area. Now, the single family starts and single family permits are still rising. That's a continuation of what we have, what happened last year. Again, the builders are living in a sub 6% mortgage world, so they're able to grow sales. The existing home sales uh, market doesn't have that luxury. Yeah, no, the existing home sales, there are no, there, there are no ways that the that really the sellers are inclined to offer mortgage help the way builders are, right? Yes, the builders sell their homes as a commodity. Uh, the existing home sales market is completely different. We are very restrictive. I, I call it the COVID-19 policy uh, for housing. The existing home sales is the one sector of our economy that's going to the third calendar year of great recession lows in demand. And even though we've seen an increase in demand, let's be honest here, purchase application data is still hovering at very low levels. We got over 157 million people working. So we are working from an extremely low bar. So let's put context in some of the data lines that we see show growth in that uh, weekly data line. So if existing homeowners are not putting their houses on the market, that keeps prices moving up, I suppose, because there isn't much supply, right? Yes, that's part of the savagely unhealthy housing market. However, we do have one good bit of piece of news. Even though mortgage rates are roughly 1% higher than what they were last year, we are seeing new listings data grow this year uh, on a year-over-year -year basis. It's still near record lows. We're not having a silver tsunami or anything like that. Uh, but we are seeing more sellers come to the market. That's a positive. More choices are good. Most sellers are buyers, so maybe we can get some more growth in there. People have to live their lives, right? People need to household formation, buy homes, uh, raise families. So it is a positive that we saw started happen last mm. year, that even though mortgage rates got to 8%, the new listings data didn't take a leg lower. So we're hopeful that the spring inventory data looks a lot better this year than it did last year. Logan Motoshami, thank you very much for your insight today. We appreciate it. Thanks for being here. We'll have you back soon. 
All right, coming up, Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai warning of further job cuts this year as the companies shift investments to artificial intelligence. As the industry doubles down on that technology, what other companies could, should follow suit? We will discuss that and more when the exchange returns on CNBC. More layoffs at Google, this time cutting 100 employees at their video platform, YouTube, one of their more successful properties. The company has announced a total of more than 1,000 layoffs uh, in little over a week. And CEO Sundar Pichai warns that more are coming. Deidre Boza joins us now for today's Tech Check. Hi, D. What's going on at Google? Well, so last year, this is interesting, Google was kind of criticized for not cutting enough compared to, say, a Meta or an Amazon. But this year, right, we've had headline after headline of these cuts coming at the beginning of the year. And last night, you know, in that memo, it's under Pichai warning that there's more to come. But there's this idea of maybe there's a different reason behind these job cuts. What if they're the beginning of a new trend? So rather than playing catch up or correcting post-pandemic, this is actually Google getting into position for an AI platform shift that will require a different kind of workforce. I want to read part of that memo from Pichai last night. He wrote that the reality is that to create capacity for AI investment, we have to make tough choices. And so for some teams, that means removing layers uh, to simplify execution and drive velocity. So Tyler, over the last few years, higher interest rates, the efficiency drive, that was the cover for layoffs or the reason, however you want to look at it. This year, though, you could hear companies saying AI or the machines made me do it. They're looking for different kinds of workforces. It may not necessarily mean layoffs, but also a different kind of hiring. Is, is, is Alphabet, in effect, taking a page that worked so successfully for Meta last year, uh, when they branded last year the year of efficiency, year of efficiency. right? <laughs> is that what, is that what uh, Alphabet is doing here and hoping to get a similar stock market result? That's certainly what some people think. And on Wall Street, there was a note, I think, from Bernstein that said the year of efficiency is now the years of efficiency, <laughs> plural. Um, but, you know, what others think is happening is this new AI shift. So they kind of are feeding each other. You had these efficiencies post-pandemic because of the overhiring, especially Google did that. But now they're looking for different kinds of workforces. So I just did this, you know, simple Google search on openings at the company. And there was actually more open roles for data scientists than there were for software engineers. So this sort of feeds the idea that they're going to need a different kind of workforce as this enormous platform shift takes place. And, you know, some of the roles like these junior engineers may not be as needed as they have been to get to this point because generative AI is just taking over everything. We all pray that you were looking at those Google job openings just to do research, <laughs> not for any other research reason. Research only. Just research only. Just wondering for a friend. All right. Deidre, thanks. Appreciate it. Coming up, shares of the plane maker Spirit Aerosystems are higher today, but down nearly 12% after the Alaska air door plug incident nearly two weeks ago. But City is bullish and sees 43% upside from here. The analyst behind that call joins us next. Welcome back to The Exchange. Shares of both Boeing and one of its manufacturers, Spirit Aerosystems, are up more than 3%. After getting a vote of confidence from India's AXA, Akasa Air, excuse me, ordering 150 Boeing 737 MAX narrowbody planes. But Spirit shares are still lower by about 12% since that door plug blew off a 737 MAX 9 
during an Alaska air flight. That incident not deterring city research. The firm initiating coverage with a buy and a $39 price target. Analysts calling the stock a show-me turnaround story. Uh, Jason Gursky, senior analyst with City Research covering the aerospace and defense, say they got a lot to show, Jason. Well, yeah. Look, uh, that's right. They're, um, the, big, the big picture thesis here, right, is that their customers, Boeing and Airbus, have lots and lots of backlog going out years, uh, and they need to fulfill uh, the orders that have been placed to them. So they're going to be rising production rates here in front of us. And um, with that will come higher volumes for Spirit and over time, better margins and better cash flows. So our story here is really about uh, the macro backdrop for the industry um, that Spirit operates in, and over time, better execution um, as they work closely here with Boeing to uh, kind of right the ship from an operational perspective. Uh, they benefit from some better pricing terms that they eked out here recently with Boeing, hope to get with Airbus uh, in the future, and um, you know benefit from these rising production rates and expanding margins and cash flows into the future. Should I feel comforted that a, a company that has had, uh, I think you even cite this, has had some, some manufacturing issues over the years, is going to be producing even more fuselages. They're, they're, they're not going to be slowing down and taking things a little more carefully. They're going to have to ramp up to meet demand, so they're going to move mm -hmm. faster. Right. Yeah, I think you would be you would be concerned if this was a company that was experiencing these issues in isolation. Uh, but we're seeing this across uh, the industry, right? Not just the commercial side, but on the defense side. People are struggling post-pandemic uh, with name experience, labor force, and uh, and you know supply chain bottlenecks. So Spirit's not unique here. I think um, you know one of the things that makes me a little bit more comfortable about all of this is that there's going to be a, an incredible amount of attention paid to this. So we might have to hire some more inspectors and and bring some more people into the workforce at both Boeing uh, and at Spirit here over the next couple of years uh, to make sure that we're getting the quality right. But this is not a, 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 a an issue that's unique to Spirit. What is this incident involving the door plug and the grounding of these uh, 739 Maxes? going to do to Spirit's finances near term? Is it, a, is it a large number hit? Is it a small number hit that they will step over relatively easy or what? It's a small number, uh, right? I think, you know, they're continuing to produce. Uh, Boeing is continuing to deliver uh, aircraft. Um, as I just mentioned a minute ago, I think there's going to be have to, there's going to need to be some more investments by both Boeing and Airbus uh, to increase inspections. If you've got a young workforce, uh, that isn't experiences what you had uh, in the in the prior cycle. You probably need to throw some more inspectors into the mix to make sure that the work is getting done. So, a small hit maybe uh, to the financials as they bring on some more people. Um, but I think over the longer term, that'll be masked by the rising volumes and the operating expense leverage that you would expect mm -hmm. with a manufacturing business that's experiencing higher volumes. Uh, a small hit. Uh, we're talking about pennies per uh, share. Well, look, I, for Boeing, I said it was maybe $250 million on an annual basis that they've got to throw into the mix. It would be mm -hmm. a very small fraction of that for a company like Spirit, right? Boeing is is the uh, the 100-pound gorilla here. They're, they're, they're the ones sucking up all the revenues, and they're going to be making some big investments to check the work, not only of their own factory, but the factories of their suppliers as well. Are there other companies that do what Spirit does? Are there other major competitors, both domestically and internationally? And who are they? Right. So there's a company called Melrose over in Europe that uh, does aero structures. Historically, there's been a company called Triumph. There are you know, tier three and tier four, tier two and three, four suppliers that supply into Spirit. 
Uh, one of them called Ducommon, that's a public, uh, publicly traded company as well. And then, you know, I think the, the biggest competitor uh, to somebody like Spirit would be the internal manufacturing capabilities of their customers. So mm -hmm. Boeing and Airbus, mm -hmm. um, they could you know, insource this kind of work. They over, could do it themselves. You know, yeah. They could do it themselves. Yeah, right. eventually. <laughs> you made the case, yeah. case very clearly, Jason. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Always, always good to have you on with us. We appreciate yeah. it. Jason Thank you, Jason Good to see you. you bet. All right, that does it for the exchange. Coming up on Power Lunch, the House set to vote in about three hours on the latest funding bill with just a day left to avoid a shutdown. Will Congress be able to get a bill to Biden's desk in time? We'll discuss that. Contessa Brewer is here. She is almost ready to join me on set here. It's a big moment for her. I'll join her on the other side of this quick break. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 